Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Pride, Two Under, Zexio, Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, Making the Game More Fun, Bionic Gloves, and the McLemore Club. Experience life above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. For our listeners here in the U.S., I hope you're still basking in the glory of the U.S. Ryder Cup team's victory this past weekend. What a dominating performance from a team that we weren't even sure if they could stand to be in the same team room together. Big up to Captain Stricker for getting the team to come together and for putting the right pairings together to generate a dominating 19-9 victory, something that none of us thought would happen. For our European friends, don't buy into all the negative talk about the team being maybe too old or too thin or too anything to win in 2023 in Italy. That's just an overreaction Monday and Tuesday. We see it every week in the NFL when our team loses. The sky's falling. Our team sucks. They can't win. By this time next year, we're all going to be looking ahead to the next Ryder Cup and some of the young talent that I'm sure that's going to emerge over on the European team. Plus, other veterans are going to return to form. It's going to be anyone's game again in 2023. It was great to see the guys all line up when it was over and shake each other's hands. The sportsmanship between Jordan Spieth and Tommy Fleetwood, to call it good, good, when they both had five-footers on the 18th green so that their match would end up in a tie, a little reminiscent of Nicholas and Jacqueline in 1969. And then, of course, Rory's emotional interview really touched a lot of hearts, so kudos to him for showing the emotion and what the Ryder Cup means to him. So let's all bask one more time in this Ryder Cup and look ahead to 2023. I'm sure those matches are going to be outstanding. Okay, on to tonight's show, and I've got four great guests that I can't wait to share with you. First up is going to be Champions Tour Pro Scott Verplank. Scott had a tremendous college career at Oklahoma State, helped them win the national championship his freshman year in 1983. He won the individual national championship his senior year in 1986. He was also a part of the victorious U.S. Walker Cup team in 1985. He played on two Ryder Cup teams in 2002 and 2006. So I can't wait to hear all of those stories, plus his win at the Western Open on the PGA Tour when he was still an amateur and still in school at Oklahoma State. What a tremendous accomplishment that was. A lot to get into with Scott when he joins me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from Golf Channel host Damon Hack. Damon is just getting back from covering the Ryder Cup, so I'm looking forward to hearing what it was like for him being at Whistling Straits and in the middle of all that fandom. 
We'll also hear his thoughts on the PGA Tour finally cracking down on the disrespectful behavior from some fans and all this Brooks and Bryson thing. Hopefully that's finally over. Looking forward to having Damon back as part of the show. He'll join me about 20 minutes from now. Following him, I'll get a return visit from one of the top U.S. junior players, Avery Zweig. Avery is 14 years old. First joined me here on the show back when she was 10. She is now one of the top five girls in the AJGA rankings. She won earlier this year at the Annika Invitational. She played on the Junior Solheim and Ryder Cup teams, and she's an annual participant in the Drive Chip and Putt Championship at Augusta National. Looking forward to catching up with her and hearing her experiences over the last year when she joins me a little bit later on in this hour. And then we're going to round out tonight's show with a visit from Wayne Tulski. Wayne has been a wonderful supporter of the show over the years. This summer, Wayne has taken his next on the tee hat on some really great golf adventures, playing courses that we all have on our bucket list. Plus, he's attempted to qualify earlier this year for the U.S. Senior Open down at the Bears Club. Looking forward to hearing about that experience. He'll join me about an hour from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends up at the Macklemore. As you all know, my buddies and I were there for our annual golf trip a few months back, and it was simply amazing. Everything about the Macklemore is first class. We had great accommodations. They've got a wonderful practice facility. Their on-premise restaurant, which is called The Craig, has outstanding food and service, and the course lived up to every great expectation that we had for it. Can't say enough great things about the Macklemore. Go online to themacklemore.com to see how spectacular the place is for yourself. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones, and our friend and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest agreed, oh, by the way, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why we're all saying that by checking out the course and the resort online at themacklemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw? Check. Low fade? Check. Bump and run out of the sand or flop shot? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better than them all, and that's the all-new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly redesigned dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit it high over the trees, under, or maybe even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Champions Tour Pro Scott Verplank. Let me give you some background on Scott. He's from Dallas, Texas, and played his college golf at Oklahoma State, where as a freshman, he was a member of their 1983 National Championship team and he finished tied for second individually. That year, Scott was named a second-team All-American. He would go on to be named a first-team All-American each of his next three seasons. Scott won the Big 8 Championship in 1984. He also won the Western Amateur Championship and the U.S. Amateur Championship that year as well. He was a member of the victorious 1985 U.S. Walker Cup team. He finished that event 3-0-1, including defeating Colin Montgomery one-up in singles play. 1986 was a huge year for Scott. He was named the Big 8 Athlete of the Year, the National Player of the Year, and he won the NCAA National Championship. That year, he also became the only senior in Oklahoma State history to win four tournaments in one season. He was also the first NCAA champion to be named Academic All-American, which he achieved twice during his college career in 1985 and 86. 
He turned pro after graduating in 1986. He won five times on the PGA Tour, including winning the 1985 Western Open as an amateur while he was still at Oklahoma State. He was a member of two Ryder Cup teams. He has top 10 finishes in all four majors. He was named the PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year in 1998. And you can now see Scott playing out on the Champions Tour. And I'm very excited to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Scott, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks, Chris. That was quite an uh, introduction, and I, and I appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome, my friend. Scott, I want to go back at the kind of at the beginning, if you will, of uh, your college career, because as a kid from Dallas, Texas, and a top high school player in the state, I have to imagine every school in the Big Eight and probably in the country had to be coming after you to try to get you to come play golf there. How did Oklahoma State lure you across rival state lines? Well, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, you know, I grew up a, a a Texas Longhorn fan. My dad played baseball at Texas, and most of the people in my family, uh, actually all of the people in my family, went to, went to the University of Texas. Um, and, you know, I got into this position as a golfer that, that you know, I had the, some of the best schools recruiting me. And I, I went on a visit to OSU and just, I, I just, I just fell in love with it because I felt like they had the best team and I felt like the best thing for me was going to be to play with the best players in the country every day. Not that Texas wasn't good because they were the second best team that year. Um, but it just turned out that I just felt like the fit for me uh, was in Stillwater. Um, I, like I said, I I was born and bred at Texas Longhorn, but um, I have no regrets that, that I went to the best golf school in the country. Scott, you make a big impact right away on the team. I mean, your freshman year, you finished tied for second in the national championship. You actually ended up in a playoff for the title against Jim Carter, but you helped the team win the national championship. What was it like making an impact like that at that level at such a young age? Well, you know, I mean, it, it was a, uh, I mean, it was great because I was, you know, I wasn't really, I wasn't necessarily the best player on the team as a freshman. Uh, t my, my friend Tommy Moore really was. And Willie Wood was actually very good as well. Um, but just that's what we were there for. It was very, you know, it's very similar to Ryder Cup. I was going to say President's Cup, but really very similar to Ryder Cup. Uh, kind of camaraderie and and what you're there for, um, and winning as a team is is ultimately um, as we saw this weekend uh, with with Captain Stricker and a lot of the young guys that played in it. You know, you just can't winning as a team is actually a greater achievement or it's a greater feeling um, as an individual than winning by yourself, and it, it just you know, it's just, it's amazing. And playing with your best buddies and coming together and winning as a team, whether it's a five-man team in college or a 12-man team in the Ryder Cup, it's, I mean, it, there, there's really nothing else in our sport that, that really even uh, compares to it. Scott, let's expand on that a little bit because you got to play on the Walker Cup team in 85. You guys won those matches 13 to 11. 
You go 2-0-1 in that event, including beating Colin Montgomery one up in your singles match. What are some of your favorite moments from being a part of that team? Well, you know what, Chris? Anytime you, you play for the United States of America, it is a, it's a different feeling. It's a different event, and it, it, it's an honor. So, um, obviously, being on a Walker Cup team is the highlight for an amateur player. You don't uh, necessarily realize it at the time of how big a deal that is. Whereas as a pro, you do realize at the time how big a deal it is to be on the Ryder Cup team. So um, it was it, it's a it's an event that was gosh 36 years ago, and I still remember everything about it. Um, you know, being having a bunch of teammates, having a bunch of guys that I played against all year long that are on different college golf teams. Um, and, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to play at Pine Valley, which is, you know, is about as good a place as you could ever play a Walker Cup. Um, so, yeah, it's an enormous honor is what it really is. But um, that was the playing on a on playing college golf and then playing on a Walker Cup. Is gr- it's kind of a great prelude or prelude to playing on a on a Ryder Cup team, so that's kind of where I felt the most comfortable. I love having guys that I'm pulling for and guys that I know have my back, and they know that I have their back. Scott, your sophomore year, you follow up that great success by winning the Big Eight title as well as the Western Am and the U.S. Amateur titles, and that USM was played on your home course at the time, Oak Tree Golf Club. You defeat Sam Randolph four and three to win it. Talk about what it was like winning that big event and also doing so on your home golf course. Well, um, obviously, you know, winning the US Amateur is, is off the charts, uh, especially as a young kid. Um, to be honest, Oak Tree was not my um, home golf course at the time. I'd only played there like two or three times. And in Oklahoma State, uh, golf team fashion the only time i'd ever played there was when the weather was the worst like in february or march where everything's dormant and the wind's blowing about 30 miles an hour and you you really you could barely break 80 so i actually hated the place but i'd never played it in the summer and when we got to the u.s amateur there I, obviously i knew the golf course but i also knew that i'd never like shot lower than like 78 on the place <laughs> um I went there in the summer and played a practice round, and I was like, wow, this place is pretty good, you know, because it was hot and everything was different. And I was, I'd been winning uh, most of the golf tournaments that summer in amateur golf. So um, I knew that if I just played well, that I'd have a great chance. But, you know, it was, it's funny because it is, I, I still live here. I actually live on the third hole of Oak Tree right now. But at the time that I won the U.S. Amateur, I was really not that fond of the place. <laughs> Scott, the next year you did something almost unheard of on the PGA Tour, really since the days of Bobby Jones. You won a tournament while you're still in school as an amateur. You win the, the Western Open in a playoff over Jim Thorpe. And I'm curious, you, you had about a four or five footer to win it in that playoff. You roll that thing in. What was it like, first of all, standing over that putt, knowing what you were about to uh, potentially accomplish? And then what did it feel like when it hit the bottom of the cup? Well, uh, Chris, to be honest with you, I, I played better the week before in an amateur tournament. 
And I really came there not expecting to win, but it, but hoping to play as well as I'd been playing uh, through the summer in the all the amateur events. Um, that was like the fourth tournament out of five out of five that I won that year. I'd won the three previous tournaments I'd played in going to that event. Not that I expected to win that event, but I my goal was to play as good as I've been playing in the amateur event. Um, and just see where it stood up. And you know what? I just kind of went through the same deal. Didn't matter where, who I was playing against or where I was playing. I was just like, let's just go play as good as we can play. We'll add them up when 72 holes are over. Um, and, you know, I obviously had a great mind frame, you know, or frame of mind to just play and not and not let the moment be too big. So, God, I wish I could get that back, but I'm a little old for that now. But but you know what? That's the way that, that these kids now uh, play so good. You don't really need to look around and see who you're playing against. Just go out and, and golf your ball and uh, play up to your expectations, your own expectations, and see what happens. God, you also got to represent the country on two Ryder Cup teams back in 02 and 06. Both of those times when you were on the team, it was over on European soil. In 2002, we lose a close one, 15 and a half to 12 and a half. Curtis Strange was the U.S. captain that year. But you were paired with a great friend of the show and Hal Sutton in the afternoon foursomes on Friday. And you guys go out and defeat Darren Clark and Thomas Bjorn two and one. You would later defeat Lee Westwood two and one in the Sunday singles matches. What do you remember about that experience? And in particular, what was it like for you going to the first tee and trying to draw it back in a Ryder Cup? Uh, you know, honestly, Chris, it was the, you know, I heard all these stories about how difficult the Ryder Cup was going to be on you as an individual as far as your nerve and all that stuff. And, you know, they had four ball or, yeah, four ball in the morning and then we're playing alternate shot in the afternoon. And Curtis Strange had picked me. I, you know, to play alternate shot, I think, because I drove it really straight, putt good, you know, blah, 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 blah. And uh, I I walked onto the first tee and just looked around, you know, and there's there's three or four or 5,000 people there and just put a huge smile on my face and went, it doesn't get any better than this. I mean, if, if you play professional golf, you know, I never won a major, so I do not know what that's like. But playing in the Ryder Cup, is is something that um, not you know very few in the in the big scheme of things very few professional golfers have ever played in, and it is it is totally different than anything else you'll ever play in. And my attitude was it was the most fun thing I've ever played in. So listen, I I got up on the first tee, I was hitting first, you know, Azinger and, and, and Hal and, and Curtis and like, oh, you'll be so nervous, you know, just get the ball on the tee. And, and I was, I started looking around going, how could you be nervous? If you're nervous in this, I mean, obviously you're nervous, but I was like, if you're worried about what's going to happen, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong spot. And I, you know, I piped it down the middle. I told Hal, I said, Hal, knock it on the green. I'll make the putt. He knocked it like 20 feet. I made the putt. And off we went. You get to do it again in 2006. Unfortunately, you know, we didn't do well as a team. It was sort of uh, what we saw this past weekend from the U.S. It was sort of flipped. And, you know, Europe beat us that year. 
18 and a half to nine and a half, but you go undefeated. You're paired with Zach Johnson. You defeat Henrik Stenson and Padraig Harrington in four ball. And then you go out and defeat Harrington again in the singles matches. One of only three singles matches we would win on, on that day. Tom Lehman was the U.S. captain that year. So I'm curious, based on your success that you had in 02 and the success you had here again in 06, but along the way, I mean, you're talking to Tom Lehman like, you know, hey, Tom, put me in, coach. Because I, if, if I well, get in a couple of more times, maybe things go the other way. Well, I would I would not say that things are going to go the other way because we pretty much got thrashed in that deal. But, um, yeah, I don't know. You, you know, Chris, it's hard to, you know, I'm not going to beat my chest for a Ryder Cup team. But I feel like I, I knew what it took to be a good teammate and and win matches. Um, I mean, I was four and one in Ryder Cup, and unfortunately, Scott Hoke and I lost on the last hole to Colin Montgomery and, and Bernard Langer for my only loss. Um, but you just you just have to be if your mindset is right that you're playing the United States, and this is not about money, and this is about pride and 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 your friends, and you know the captain and your buddies that are on the team, then you put yourself in a position to play your best golf. Um, saying that, Captain Stricker did an unbelievable job of conveying that message to the guys this year, and they all just played their rear ends off um, for each other and for the United States and for Captain Stricker. So uh, that's what it takes. I mean, you, we, we obviously have the best players, or at least in my opinion, we obviously have the best players if you go all through the 12. Um, but you got to be focused on, hey, I'm not playing for me this week. I'm playing for us. And that's a hard thing to do to some people. Um, but if you get it, you get it. So, you know, uh, Ian Poulter is a great example of, of he's playing for the European continent and for all his buddies. So a guy that he's obviously a, a – great player but in that uh format he's you know he's almost unbeatable so scott to your point i mean we saw the emotional interview that rory mcelroy did on sunday where he broke down in tears talking about how much the Ryder cup means to him and winning for the european team and being a part of the Ryder cup for the european team like you said you went four and one didn't win a major, but you got out there in one of the biggest events that our sport has. Where does the Ryder Cup rank for you based on uh, all the things you got to do over the course of your career? Um, th to be honest with you, it's the greatest event. I mean, just because I felt like, I mean, I was from my Oklahoma State days and given my heart and soul to us winning as a team. Uh, Ryder Cup is just the greatest event in golf. I mean, I think it's one of the, you know, best two. I think it's the best event in sports, but it's definitely in the top two, three, four, five of any event in sports. It's just, it's so cool. Uh, you know, you're playing in a stadium. Uh, you know, a great example is was Bryson, you know, on the first tee in the singles and knocking it on the green with, 10,000 people on the, you know, in the amphitheater around the first tee and then pulling his putter out 
after he hits. The other guy had him, you know, the other well, the Sergio. Sergio had hit a nice drive, but I'm like, that is that is sport. That is, uh, and he wasn't being a jerk, Sergio. It's just like that's what it was, and that's what people watch sports for, in my opinion, and that's why you play to have a moment like that. Well, the Ryder Cup is the Ryder Cup gives twelve guys a chance to, you know, I don't know if show off is the right word, but to represent um, everybody in the stands, everybody, all the golf fans in the United States and in Europe for that matter, um, how much you love playing golf. So it's just a, a, you know, it's the greatest, to me, it's the greatest event in the world that I'm sure the soccer people or the football people or basketball people might disagree, but it is, it is pretty phenomenal. Scott, you had seven top tens in majors from 2001 to 2011, including a tied for seventh and a tied for fourth at the 2001 and 2011 PGA Championships here in Atlanta at the Atlanta Athletic Club. Talk about what it was like to be in the mix at those majors. It's funny because I, I did, I did, I loved Atlanta Athletic Club. Um, I played really well there the or the whole week, but the final round in 01 um, to get a captain's pick uh, for the what turned out to be the 02 Ryder Cup team. Um, and, you know, I just loved it. And then we went back there in, in 11, and I was 47 years old, and I'm standing on the 17th tee uh, with Tegan Bradley. And I kind of was like, all right, I got to go with the flag. If I can birdie this hole in par 18, I could win and be like one of the oldest guys ever to win a, a major. And I hit it as a flag, pulled it about three yards, hit the rocks, went in the water, made double. Keegan blew it out in the middle of the green, made a 40-footer uh, for birdie, ends up winning the golf tournament. So that being said, I have no regrets about trying to win the golf tournament, but obviously I love playing Atlanta Athletic Club. It's, 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 as far as my pro golf career in majors, it's my favorite place. So, Scott, that begs the question. If you could get a mulligan to go back and make a different swing at any of the majors or tournaments you played in, would it be that one, or would you pick one of, one of the other ones? Uh, oh, no, it'd be that one. I would go back and, and probably hit the same shot, but just hit it a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of felt like, listen, I got to, you know, I got to make birdie here to win the golf tournament. Um, and I would hit the shot. I would just, I was so in between clubs, Chris, it was unreal. I remember I'm not, I'm, I'm not the fastest player, but I'm not the slowest. And I just, I knew it was the, or I, I felt like it was a, you know, a, a, just a killer eight iron. And I, I went ahead and went with, oh, the three quarter seven. And because of that, I just pulled it just like, literally like two yards. And it didn't work out, but no regrets on that uh, at all. So that would be the one, though, because if I would have hit the shot that I was trying to hit, then I poss possibly could have won the PGA. Scott, what's on the schedule for you for the rest of 2021? Um, well, I just had... Uh, shoulder surgery on my left shoulder three weeks ago so i'm pretty much uh pretty much done playing golf i still have some uh 
TV stuff. I've been working for CBS uh, for the last about year, just doing a few tournaments. Um, so I'm going to kind of follow up with that, keep going on that. I've, I'm hoping that my my shoulder surgery uh, ends up making it where I can play a little bit more. I'd love to play another two or three years of Champions Tour golf. Just um, And the guys out there, you know, are guys that I've known my whole life. They can still play. Competition's great. Um, you know, I think once you're, if you're a if you're a tour pro uh, for as long as I have been, you don't you don't play for the golf, you play for the competition. And I would still like to do that. If it doesn't work out, then maybe some of the commentating stuff will work out a little bit. But um, really, I mean, I I got no complaints, man. <laughs> I'm I'm uh, I'm happy to talk to you on the on your podcast and uh i'm lucky to be able to talk about things that that were so impactful to me and that people if you don't get to if you don't get to um experience them it's still trying to explain how cool the Ryder cup is and and the walker cup and you know playing in the pga is it's still uh at this age i still appreciate all that so if i can help people realize that what they're watching is still pretty pretty damn cool. I'm good with that, too. Well, Scott, before I let you go, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? <laughs> well, now, Chris, I'm, I'm pretty old, okay? So I'm not like a <laughs> giant online guy. Um, but I'll, I'll do some more work for uh, CBS on some of the coverage, and we'll see where that goes. But I actually was talking to a buddy, and I was thinking about, hey, we should do a podcast and just just to shoot the bulls. But um, listen, if I have enough people that, that decide they're going to follow me on, like, Twitter or Instagram, then I'll start putting more stuff out there. Um, but otherwise, um, I'm sitting, I'm right here grilling steaks and uh, talking to you. So that's where you can find me. <laughs> well, I appreciate that very much, Scott. It's been great having you as part of the show, my friend. I hope we get the privilege of having you come back on again sometime. A lot of stories. I feel like we've sort of just brushed the surface of all the great things you've done during the course of your golf career. Love to catch up with you again sometime. Okay, Chris, that's not a problem. I love to I love to tell stories that are funny. Uh, that's my that's kind of my passion. So maybe I should be on a podcast or on something. Absolutely, but, you should. Um, yeah, no problem. I'll come back. Uh, I'll talk to you anytime you want. I appreciate it, Scott. Stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up soon. All right. Thanks. You too. See you, Scott. That's the great Scott Burplank. And, folks, you want to talk about as great a college golf career as you could possibly have at, at his time during Oklahoma State. I don't think there's anything that he didn't achieve while he was there. And then to win a golf tournament as an amateur and then go on to, to win four other times, be a part of a a Walker Cup team, two Ryder Cup teams, become a comeback player of the year as well. What a fantastic career Scott Verplank has had. And like you said, you can hear him on TV every once in a while doing some analysis there. So really looking forward to having Scott come back and share more of his stories. Like I said, I think we just really started to scratch the surface. A lot more there. Hopefully we get the privilege of having Scott back on the show again real soon. Before I get to my next guest, Damon Hack, I want to remind you about a few of our sponsors. 
starting with our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com, that's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com, and get Squares' 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Bionic Gloves. Whether you're looking to own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Gloves have you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Gloves feature patented innovations that help improve your grip. The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also help prevent calluses and blisters, while the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. Head over to BionicGloves.com to find the perfect glove to up your game. And this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at Zexio. In 2001, Zexio Strixon began making clubs for men and women, and they've improved on those clubs every year since. I was fit for a set of Zexio 10 irons by a great fitter on their staff. He got me dialed in, and they feel and perform fantastically. They are light. I've picked up nearly 5 miles per hour in swing speed, and they're deadly accurate. Every part of Zexio clubs are made exclusively for Zexio. Everything is light and balanced. Swing weights are made to give us the highest smash factor. And the best part of getting fit for Zexio clubs is hitting it higher and straighter than ever before, changing your game. Zexio clubs are a Golf Digest Hot List Gold winner for 2021. NB Park is a Zexio ambassador, as are Ernie Els and top instructor Martin Hall. See why and how Zexio can help your game as well. Go online to ZexioUSA.com, that's X-X-I-O-USA.com, and pick which set is right for you. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is Golf Today and live from host Damon Hack. Let me remind you about Damon's background. He's from L.A. He graduated from UCLA with his undergraduate degree and from UC Berkeley with his master's degree in journalism. He started out covering the San Francisco 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. In 2000, he moved over to Newsday covering the New York Knicks and golf. In 2002, he joined the New York Times covering golf and the NFL. In 07, he joined Sports Illustrated covering golf and the NFL for them. He joined the Golf Channel back in 2012 and is by far one of the best hosts and interviewers anywhere on the planet. And I'm honored that he's back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Damon, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, it's great to be with you again. That was a very kind introduction. It's uh, very, very kind. I appreciate you, pal. Ah, same right back at you. So, Damon, I know you are uh, just coming off covering the Ryder Cup. What was it like being on the grounds at Whistling Straits? It was electric, man. It was quite the week of great golf, especially if you're a fan of the red, white, blue, and just incredible passion. Uh, that a team that many thought could gel, could bond, found a way to pull together, win one for the Wisconsin native Steve Sticker, and also kind of some great play from from John Rahm, even though 
on the losing side, confirming in my mind that he's the best player in the world. I just, you know, I kind of thought, well, oh, there's you know, 24 best players in the world. And even in defeat, I kind of walked away from Cole or thinking he's the best player on the planet. And, and there's a little daylight between he and DJ and JT and Rory and, and all the rest. But it was fun. It was fun being there. Energy. I love friendship. I love the tears from Rory at the end of it all and how much he loved the part of a team and how much it hurt that he didn't play his best golf. Was happy to get a point for the Europeans on Sunday. But man, just the, the pageantry, the color, uh, the storylines, uh, the, the party afterwards with the Americans kind of celebrating with cigars and champagne. It, it was quite uh, a scene to be a part of. And Damon, like you mentioned a moment ago, I think going in, all the talk was about the U.S. team and whether or not they could really coexist with one another. What it would be like in the team room? Could they check their egos and, and play as a team? And then we exit the Ryder Cup wondering if the European team may be too old, too thin, not, not going to be able to be competitive in 2023 in Italy. Do you think the whole you know script has now flipped the other direction? Or is it like what we see in the NFL, Damon? It's sort of overreaction Monday and Tuesday just based on one law. Yeah, I'm still going to say overreaction Monday, Tuesday, until the Americans go on foreign soil and, and win a Ryder Cup, something they haven't done since 1993. So I think that the Americans are clearly uh, the better team right now, going in the right direction. This was a change Ryder Cup in two directions. One, you had new voices in that team room for the United States, young voices, the JTs and the Jordan Spieths and the Brysons and the Tony Finals and the Xanders and the Kentleys. Those are the guys that will be carrying this team going forward. You know, Tiger wasn't there and Bill was a vice captain. So kind of a turning of the page from those two great legends who, let's be honest, didn't always have their best in the Ryder Cup. And then on the other side, you have the Europeans who are aging out. You know, Poulter perhaps in his last. Lee Westwood almost definitely in his last. Paul Casey perhaps in his last. I think we haven't seen the last of Sergio. But the Europeans will have to find some some young players to kind of fill those roles of those Ryder Cup legends. And I do think that age may have caught up with some of those guys last week um, outside of Sheboygan. Wisconsin. And Damon, a lot was made of Captain Stricker's captain's picks, right? The six Ryder Cup rookies that also were, were part of this U.S. team. One of those guys that really shined was Scotty Scheffler. And Stricker kind of raised some eyebrows when he picked Scheffler over maybe someone like a Webb Simpson or certainly a Patrick Reed. And then all Scheffler did was go out there and go 2-0-1, including beating John Rahm 4-3 and in the singles on Sunday. Talk about what we're seeing from Scotty Scheffler. Yeah, it was cool. I got to spend a little time with his dad, Scott, um, during the matches, and, and he told me kind of quietly just how much it meant to Scotty to be a part of this team. And I guess Scotty had some tears when he found out that, that Stricker was going to choose him for one of those precious six wild card spots. And this is someone who was a star as an amateur, you know, played great golf for John Fields at the University of Texas, won a U.S. junior amateur. Uh, Coach Fields told me that like Jordan Spieth, like David Duvall, like Tiger, Scotty Scheffler has the it factor. It's hard to exactly kind of put that into actual meaning. It's almost an intangible. But I think we saw a little bit of that it factor last week in Wisconsin, seeing how a young player who doesn't have a team tool win yet uh, was able to bring his game, bring his best, deal with the team, uh, take out John Rahm uh, on Sunday singles, which uh, which spoke a lot for just his talents as well. And 
I also think that what Sticker did very well was give the players voice in the team room, much like Paul Azinger before him, allowing the players to be empowered and to really have a say in who they played with and who they wanted to be on the team. And I did think it was fascinating that someone who, let's be honest, for whatever characteristics surrounds him, Patrick Reed had played mostly very well, you know, getting the nickname Captain America for his performance in the Ryder Cup and President's Cup. So it was obviously a leap out, but I think that, you know, knowing the controversy that occasionally follows him and knowing how the sticker through the opinions of the team room said a lot. You know, Kevin Nall on the outside looking in, a Sam Burns, you know, you talk about Kevin Kessler or Webb Simpson. I, I think both they wanted. I think the sticker had exactly who he wanted, and the results were a resounding 19-9 to victory. Speaking of Patrick Reed and all the things that sort of surround him, and you mentioned some of the other really good young players that could really play their way onto the 2023 team. If Reed isn't one of the top six next go-round, can you see him being a captain's pick going forward, or does all the stuff that sort of surrounds him and then potentially some of the guys really not being that much of a fan that might not want to play with a Patrick Reed, can you see him being a part of a Ryder Cup team in the future, or do you think some of the things that um, have now become part of his reputation may preclude him from ever being picked again. I tell you what, the only way he gets back outside of qualifying outright is that he falls on his sword. And, and we may not know if and when that happens, if he makes right with with Jordan Speed, with Tiger. I mean, 2018, you know, how quickly we forget that post-round press conference and kind of throwing Speed and, and Jim Furyk under the bus and, uh, went to the New York Times, my former employer, and actually great reporting by Karen Krause, who was the golf writer who uh, was a couple after me and, and, and got Patrick to speak his mind. And Patrick was unhappy with how he was deployed. He was unhappy with the breaking up of the speech read team that had been so dynamic. But, you know, his consolation prize was some golf with Tiger Woods, which is a terrible thing. Uh, but I do think that Patrick probably has to make things right. And I do think that when it's a flip of a coin, if it's a close call, uh, he may not get the nod. And I think it's going to take some contrition probably on his part. I understand that Steve Bigger called him and it was a difficult call, knowing how much Patrick Reed bleeds red, white, and blue, and how much he's performed in match play situations, leading Augusta State, for example, to back-to-back national championships, and, of course, his Ryder and President's Cup record. But I think that some bridges were burned. He's got to work on building those bridges back, and that's going to take some work. It's going to take some years. It's going to take some behavioral, you know, kind of changes perhaps as well. So if he gets to that seven spot, eight spot, and it's close, um, a captain may have a tough time justifying leaving him off. But if he's in the 11, 12, 13, 14, I could see – this story continue to play out this way unless Patrick Reed shows some some contrition. And I think that the voices of Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth uh, will have a lot to say on how often we see Patrick Reed going forward without being an automatic qualifier. And, Damon, DJ was senior man on the U.S. team at age 37. DJ's not a rah-rah sort of guy. We did see some fist pumps when the putts were dropping. He goes 5-0. and this year, and uh, he might have been the quietest MVP on a team ever. 
And he and Morikawa were uh, certainly quite a dynamic duo. But is he the, the leader of the team, or is it really shifted down to someone like JT, who's got a lot of fire in his belly? Jordan Spieth, you mentioned, being a, a guy up there as well. Who do you see as sort of the leader of this team going forward? Yeah, I, I really see it as JT and, and Jordan. I think kind of almost like a combo platter. You know, Jordan's a little bit quieter. Uh, JT's very, very emotional and evocative. He's about as busy gets the job done. He's more of a leader by example. Doesn't say a lot, though. He did say quite a bit when he was, let's say, well lubricated and enjoying uh, some champagne afterwards. <laughs> I got to spend some time with uh, one of two men to be awarded the inaugural Nicholas Jacklin Award presented by Aon for their sportsmanship and performance and teamwork. So that spoke highly of DJ as well. And I do think that he's an extremely popular player in the locker room. There's not a guy you're going to find that's going to say a bad word about DJ. Much like a Fred Couples, he just kind of cachets through life. Uh, he glides through life he, like a panther. He just looks good in whatever outfit he wears. He's an athlete. Uh, Couples could hit a frozen rope with a Louisville slugger. He could swish a basketball from three-point range. DJ similarly can dunk a basketball barefoot. He's just one of those guys that was good at every sport he picked up. The guy you pick first on the playground when you're in elementary school all the way through high school. Uh, he's jock tough. Uh, not loud, not rah-rah, but my goodness, what a talent. And I do think he's extremely popular. And I do think when you have the DJ kind of as the old man, you got youngsters who all grew up playing golf. I mean, Kentley and Sander, terrific friends. And Morikawa knows those guys. And JT and Spieth been playing together since the AJGA days. Everybody loves Tony Finau. A lot of good eggs in that locker room. And I think that outside of just being the – the, the higher-ranked team and the better team, they also had some intangibles this time, which I think in past years have been lacking. And, Damon, going into the Ryder Cup, I felt like Bryson DeChambeau was starting to go down a kind of a dark street, dark path. He was, you know, obviously getting all the Brooksy chants and some negative interaction with fans over what was going on. He was refusing to talk to the media. But I think the loudest cheers and roars came for what he was doing there at Whistling Straits. Obviously, the 417-yard drive was a big deal. You mentioned driving the first hole and then walking off the, the tee with his putter in, in his hand and then making that eagle putt. But when you think about someone doing themselves a favor and improving their own personal brand, did anyone do anything better than Bryson did at the Ryder Cup? Nobody did, and I'm 100% in agreement. And I thought going in, Chris, that this would be a chance for, for Bryson to really kind of hit the reset button and change the storyline from the heckling and the, the cat calls that he's been receiving from the playoffs to even before that in Memphis at the WGC, him hitting into the water and the crowd erupting in, in laughter and teasing him and calling him Brooksy. I, I knew going in that, that Bryson would, would be um, – a popular player. This was his chance to wear the red, white, and blue and have everybody in his corner. And, and, you know, everybody wants to be liked at the end of the day, and I think he wants it a little more. And it wasn't that long ago in the springtime at the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill where he was, you know, taking on the par 5-6, and everybody loved him. He was the story of golf. He wins that golf tournament, plays great at the Players' Championship. He was the kind of the winner of the Florida swing in many cases. You know, he was very popular and, and 
moving the needle for all the right reasons. And I just think some of his comments along the way, whether it was, you know, blaming his driver for a poor day at the office at the Open Championship, and then, of course, the back and forth with Kepka, how nice to see him kind of hug it out and put those petty grievances aside for the betterment of a Ryder Cup team that, let's be honest, needed it. They needed a victory very, very badly. And nice to see him kind of luxuriate in that. And, of course, this week he's competing out in Mesquite with the, the world long drive circuit. So kind of carrying the good vibes from Kohler. And listen, for someone who changed his body, changed his clubs, uh, and has been bent on changing the game, Bryce has had some moments where he's been the most talked about player on tour. And, and I think that he's different. I think that he goes about things in a way we really haven't seen. He was criticized when he came out with the long uh, single length irons. He was criticized when he said he was going to go to the gym and change his body. And, he won a U.S. Open at Wingfoot by by six shots, and he's done great at this Ryder Cup, and he's one of the best players on the PGA Tour. And I think that at the end of the day, a lot of what he has done has been validated, and now it looks like he's got the fans back in his corner as well. So do you think all of this Brooks and Bryson thing, is that over now? Have we Can we put that to bed, That they're hugging it out and all that sort of thing? Is all that now behind us, so. or do you think we'll I see think some so. more? I, yeah, I think I think, in fact, Bryce gave a little bit of a hint that we may see a a little tournament, perhaps over Thanksgiving between those two, kind of similar to what we've seen with Tiger and Barkley and Phil and Tom Brady and you know Peyton and Aaron Rodgers. There's been some scuttlebutt rumor that that Brooks and Bryce may be doing something together, and in some ways, you know, the the journalist in me, the old newspaper and magazine scribe wonders if this whole thing wasn't a little bit overblown on purpose because, you know, the PJ Tour has this PIP program now, this player impact program where for Google impressions and social media popularity, there's like a $40 million pot wait for, for uh, I want to say somewhere from eight to 10 players at the end of the year. So Brooks and Bryson for all their little back and forth, they're going to be, you know, lining their wallets pretty nicely for all that noise they made. But I think because they won a Ryder Cup together, uh, hugged it out, will compete in, in some sort of made-for-TV event. Uh, I think they each respect each other in terms of how they go about their business. They are both very serious about their job, both major champions, uh, uh, both winners. And I think that uh, when you get a couple of Brahma Bulls, uh, a couple of Alpha Males, every once in a while you have a little static. But I think those two put it behind them. And I think that most of the heckling, most of it, you know, you never know how someone's going to react when they get a couple beers in them. But for the most part, I think the heckling is probably going to be put to bed. Damon, just a couple more before I let you go. And we all heard Rory McIlroy's emotional interview on Sunday about how much the Ryder Cup means to him and being a part of the European team. I was particularly touched by his comment about hoping that, you know, young boys and girls that are watching and they're going to aspire to want to be a part of a Solheim Cup or a Ryder Cup team someday. I know you have three young boys who are getting into the game. What do you think about, his emotional response and that message. I just absolutely loved it. I ate it up. It's just further confirmation of how special Rory McIlroy is, how thoughtful he is, and how how tough it must be for someone who can look at the big picture and be so thoughtful and then also be asked to be, you know, an assassin inside the ropes. And I think it's hard for him as he's got older and he's dad and he likes to meditate and he enjoys wine and he's a thinker and he reads 
he's just got so many different levels to him. And I think that seeing his tears after that uh, Sunday singles win and being put out there first and talking about just the emotion, you know, a colleague of mine, Kyle Porter from CBS, wrote about how part of the, the tears were the fact that the, the team does not go out 11th in Sunday singles. And, and Kyle beautifully wrote about this this moment that really touched Rory, and then we saw how much he was touched with those tears afterwards. And I said on both live from on that Sunday night and then on Golf Today on Monday that, you know, there were 24 five-tool players out there. I said Rory McIlroy is a five-tool human being. He's just very, very deep. He's thoughtful. Um, he sees the big picture. To bring up the kids and the Solheim Cup and future Ryder Cups, I just thought, man, this guy is is a, a gift to our game and those who love it. So, Damon, I'm going to be a little selfish here because I want to go back to your time working at Sports Illustrated. You may know that I'm from Pittsburgh. I'm a huge Steelers fan, and I believe you covered Super Bowl 43 for SI when the Steelers beat the Cardinals. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm Andy Pettit and I'm misremembering this, but I believe you wrote the cover story <laughs> for SI about that Steelers victory. Is that accurate? That is accurate. The, the first of two Super Bowl stories that I wrote, and my goodness, um, it was in Tampa, and uh, my gosh, I'm getting goosebumps thinking back to to what an honor it was. And it's funny you mention that because you'll recall Patrick Harrington talking about the 500 or so astronauts there have been and the 100 and so, you know, European Ryder Cuppers where there's only been like 50 some odd, you know, people who have written a cover story Super Bowl for for Sports Illustrated. And I'm one of those guys. I've done it twice. And I, I remember watching that game from the, from the press room. I remember James Harrison with the interception right before half. And I literally got out of my chair in the press, in the press box and started pacing back and forth. I was so excited. And then, of course, the San Antonio Holmes with the, the toe touch uh, out the great pass from Big Ben and, and that win and chasing Ben down after the game. And he said how much he didn't really feel a part of their win over the Seahawks because he was a young quarterback and they kind of won despite him. He'd made some mistakes. And, and this one, he had the ball in his hands and he was a leader of men. And it just was a different feeling for him after kind of feeling like they won that Super Bowl uh, against the Seahawks. Uh, just despite him, so it was neat to to be able to to kind of relive the, some of those moments and think about that. I, whenever I cover a big event, I, I always think back to my Super Bowl riding days and, and how much fun I had being able to to kind of chase down those NFL games. And you know, I also did the Patriots Giants uh, their second meeting when when Eli got the better of Tom Brady again. But my goodness, so much fun uh, covering that Steelers Cardinals until uh, many many years ago. Damon, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things that you're out there achieving, whether they're following you on social media or online or TV. Well, like uh, Scotty for playing for me, I'm I'm kind of a an older dude, but uh, I've got most social media handles that I think reflect my 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 loves of uh, and hobbies. One, of course, is, is Damon Hackett GC uh, as a Golf Channel employee and. and now of nine years, uh, that's one at Damon Hack GC, and then at Goats and Grapes uh, is an Instagram page that I started uh, on appreciation of the intersection of, of sports and wine. So I've got some pictures of, gosh, I got Rory up there, Krista Marco. I think I might have a Phil 
picture or talked about some wines Bill likes as well. So at Goats and Grapes dot com and at Goats and Grapes on Instagram. Probably spend more time on on that site than I do on on uh, Damon Hack GC these days. I'm, I'm enjoying vino. I think uh, being a father uh, has uh, increased my enjoyment of wine. <laughs> Good for you, my friend. <laughs> Damon, it's always a lot of fun having you as part of this show. You make it uh, a lot a lot of fun, very informative. You always make me smile. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again soon, my friend. It's always a pleasure. Uh, your gift to this game, uh, your behavior, your comportment, especially on social media, which can be a little bit dicey sometimes. You're always spreading positive words and and just uh, putting a smile on a lot of people's face. So uh, whenever you send out the vine, I'll do my best to join you, my friend. I appreciate that very much. Take care, Damon. All the best to uh, your family. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. And to you, Chris. Be well. See you, Damon. That's the great Damon hack at Goats and Grapes. Goats and Grapes is uh, the, the new love. So be sure to follow him online and on social media there at Damon Hack. GC is, is where you can find him as well. And a finer individual, folks, you will not find than Damon Hack. What a what a wonderful human being he is. Speaking about spreading positivity, no one does it better than Damon Hack. Very privileged to have him as part of the show and always look forward to having him here. So hopefully we get that privilege again real soon. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Avery Zwag, I want to give a shout out to a few more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Square's golf shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com, that's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com, and get Square's 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. And, folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is one of the best junior golfers on the planet, and that's Avery Zwag. Had the privilege of interviewing Avery four years ago when she was one of the top junior players then, and she's gotten exponentially better every year since. She's won just about every junior event you could possibly win. She's won four times this year so far, including the Annika Invitational against players much older than she is. She was a first alternate at the Women's U.S. Open at the Olympic Club. This year, she was a member of the junior Solheim team, the Junior Ryder Cup team, and she played on the Wyndham Cup team as well. She's ranked as one of the top five junior players in the AJGA and number one for the class of 2025. She is annually one of the top players at the Drive, Chip, and Putt competition at Augusta National, and I'm very excited she is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. 
Hey, Avery, thanks for coming back on the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So, Avery, it has been a tremendous year for you, starting with the the Annika Invitational back in January. I know that's not the first time that you've met Annika, but talk about getting a win in that tournament and doing it by winning by four shots. Um, well, it was going into that tournament. It was my second um, AJGA Invitational ever. Um, so I did a lot of work going into it, like mentally, obviously with my game. I had a really good game plan um, as to what I wanted to accomplish. Um, and then I just, I got out there and I got some good prep work in. I had another tournament in Florida the weekend before the Sally um, Amateur. It's a great event, one of my favorites. Um, so I was in a really good mindset going into it. And then I was able to uh, maintain, we call it like an attitude of gratitude. Because it was, you know, it was really tough because I, I had never been in a position like that in that big of a tournament in the final group. Um, obviously, a lot of good golf went into getting there. But, um, yeah, I was able to maintain that mindset. And, honestly, I didn't look at the scores. I, I knew I had the lead going into the back nine, but I didn't know by how much or how little. Um, and, honestly, that was for the best. So, a lot of what went on there was. Um, what I mean to be successful. And I kind of, that really helped me figuring out more of um, what benefits me as a player. But you talked about Annika actually. And I, um, from drive from putt, I remember meeting her and being super starstruck. And then I meet, I met her again, winning her tournament. And I was also super starstruck. Um, I mean, it is Annika. So there's always an element of that, but then she was the captain on the junior Solheim cup team. So I got to spend some time with her and her and her husband. They're, they're great people. Um, I, you know, there's really no better person to be representing golf like she does. So all in all, great experience. And Avery, you, you go through the qualifying process for the Women's U.S. Open this year that was held at the Olympic Club. Talk about what it was like trying to get through qualifying. Um, well, my qualifying experience was a little bit um, different than the normal ones because it was right during that time when in Texas we had like a historic amount of days in a row of rain and um, you know, it's 36 holes. So I played my morning 18 and it was kind of missing and then it was sunny. And then I had um, two and a half holes left and they blew the horn and um, we had to go in, come back the next morning. They didn't, they didn't have scoring for um, the second round. So I shot four under in the first round and I was in the lead and we we're thinking, okay, I'll make some pars. And I came back next morning, did what I needed to do. And then um, a bunch of the pros, cause I got low amps. So, and the people that got the spots before me were pros and a bunch of the pros had come back in the second round and we didn't know. So we might've had a different mindset, how we'd known where they were, what they were shooting. Um, but they, uh, so I was in a qualifier or in a, in a playoff. Um, and then, yeah, I birdied the first hole of the playoff and she birdied on top of me. And then, um, I made a par on the next hole and she birdied it. And that was that. So it was, it was definitely, um, difficult for me, you know, having that mindset of like, just make some pars and you're in. And then all of a sudden that wasn't the case. 
Um, but overall, the qualifier itself was a really good learning experience and just playing at that level and with the pros and, um, you know, how they can go shoot number when they need to. And then Olympic Club was a totally different thing. Um, it was super, super difficult. The hardest course I've ever played easily. Um, but I had a lot of fun just experiencing that environment and obviously Olympic Club and how historic it is and like eating lunch two tables away from Lexi Thompson. It's definitely an experience I'll never. Yeah. So talk about what that week was like. I know you're there at the Olympic Club. You're there as the first alternate. You're having to go through your practice routine. You're having to be there for the morning of the first round to see if anybody falls out. Then you have to stick around for the afternoon to see if somebody falls out from that part of the draw as well. What was it like trying to wait around to see if you're in or you're out? It was tough. Yeah, there was a, um, it was a pretty stressful experience. I've never dealt with that before. I mean, a lot, that happened a lot this year with new experiences. Um, It's difficult because obviously a course like that and, you know, prepping, but in the back of your mind, you're like, am I really prepping to play or am I prepping just to be here? And it's, um, it was really difficult. And I also, I had a bunch of tournaments around it. So um, that experience was, you know, really stands out, but being sitting there waiting, um, by about, by the time the morning tea times were done, we kind of knew that it wasn't going to happen. And we also knew that everyone had checked in. So unless someone broke a leg or slipped on a banana peel, I wasn't going to get a chance to play, but, um, you know, waiting around, I, again, I'm, I was super grateful to be able to be there in the first place. Obviously it would have been great to play, but, um, you know, maybe next time. I'll go birdie, birdie, birdie in the playoffs, and we won't be saying this. What was it like prepping for the rough conditions at a U.S. Open? What was it like trying to get ready for the lightning-fast greens? I know you've played at Augusta National at the drive, chip, and putt, and you've been on lightning-fast greens, but what was it like trying to prep that week for the conditions of a U.S. Open? Well, the thing about Olympic club was anything you can possibly imagine that's difficult about a course was present. Um, and, you know, being from Texas, I'm not super, super used to playing. I can play in rough, but that was like a different level. Like you drop the ball and could maybe see half of it if you were lucky. Um, and obviously like fast greens I'm familiar with, but the level of undulation and how like you could have a putt, one putt here and another putt two feet away from it and it could play completely differently. Um, again, it was very new, so I'm really grateful to have that experience. And I did walk away from it because I played in the practice round with um, Mel Reed and, and Ann Van Dam. And uh, Mel Reed specifically, it was really interesting watching her uh, work the ball because Olympic Club was very narrow. And um, the whole course is difficult, but particularly off the tee, it put a lot of emphasis on hitting really good tee shots. And she was able to work the ball. And just the level of control that both the pros had over their shot, um, it was really fun to watch. And, you know, I had a good idea of what I needed to improve on there. And Avery, for those of us that are fans of the drive, chip, and putt, and and watch you there over the last several years at Augusta National, I, I think most of us assume during the course of that event, you guys get plenty of time to warm up and you're, 
you're practicing a lot on the chips and the and the greens and that sort of thing. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. What is it like trying to compete there? <laughs> well, um, obviously the opportunity to play at Augusta and you know just even be on the practice facilities in 18 green is is incredible. Um, but they do not give you a lot of time. It's it's a finely oiled machine at Augusta, which you know I'm sure most of us are familiar with. Um, so they you get off the van and you, you drive down Magnolia Lane and it's they drive super slow, so you get videos, and um, that's super cool. But you get there, and you chip for about 15 minutes, and then you go hit for about 15 minutes, and then most of it is actually just standing there waiting for you to go. And then you hit your two shots at each go, and then it's done. But um, I think, yeah, a common misconception is that we get to practice on Augusta prior to the day, uh, but that's not true. Um, but, you know, they give us our time, and, again, it's, being on Augusta and competing there, it's um, it's a little bit overwhelming. So, you know, you can focus a little bit less on the warm-up time and more about just being there. Hey, I'm going to be at the Augusta National Women's Amateur Tournament prior to next year's Masters and really hoping that uh, while I'm there, I get to walk the course following you in that tournament. Could we see uh, you playing in the Augusta National Women's Am? Well... Um, we hope so. It's definitely a big goal of mine. Um, they finalize it December 31st via the World Amateur Golf Rankings. Um, I would be in as of now, but I have a couple more tournaments, and there's a bunch of collegiate players that are still playing. Um, so we're hoping if I get one more good finish, yes, you'll see me there, and you'll be able to follow me on the grounds of hopefully Augusta. So, ah, yeah. I hope so. I'm looking forward mm -hmm. to that. And Avery, you were a member of the Junior Solheim Cup team this year. You and Amory Avery were able to earn a point for the U.S. team in your foursome match. What was it like getting to put on the red, white, and blue and play for your country? Um, it was super fun. I've never represented the U.S. before um, like that. I have experience in match play, but not for the country. Um, it was a really fun experience to witness passion on the European side. You know, Europeans are commonly very passionate. Um, and also our side, I've played in team events, but it's just a different level playing for the U.S. Um, as far as playing with Amari, she was an incredible partner. And I've kind of, um, obviously with her being in the short game, I've kind of played my whole career looking up to her. Um, and being able to play with her and hear a little bit of what goes on in her head because it was ultimate shot. So it really is a team event because, you know, my shots count um, for her. So it's all in all, again, a really fun experience. I, I say that a lot, but I did have a lot of um, really cool events happen this year. Avery, I imagine you took a little time out of your practice regiment to check out the Ryder Cup this past weekend as a Texas girl. I know you're a Jordan Spieth fan. I imagine you're a Scotty Scheffler fan as well. Not sure about if uh, where you stand on Bryson DeChambeau as a Texas guy since he's from California, but played his college golf at SMU and lives in Dallas. But what did you think about the Ryder Cup and how well the Texas contingent played? <laughs> um, yeah, funny story. I actually uh, I ran my entire phone battery down because I had it streaming on YouTube TV. Um, 
the last day. And, you know, just that display of dominance with them. And, um, you know, we talked about how they all put their differences aside. And I think it was really cool to witness. I don't know what Steve Stricker told them, but obviously it worked. Um, and also, I was there. I, I watched the first day. So that environment, it's really, it really it truly is electric. And just that sense of pride in the U.S. Um, and, you know, there, were, there weren't many European fans there, so the pride of the U.S. was definitely prevalent. Um, but, yeah, I really enjoyed watching it. And, you know, we hope for, I guess, this new era of um, players from Texas and the young players from the U.S. in general. Avery, just a couple more before I let you go. And we're in a world now where college coaches are recruiting kids in middle school to come commit to playing on their team and for their school. We see it a lot in, in college football. Kids are in you know, sixth grade are getting recruited. I have to <laughs> believe that college coaches are either outright recruiting you to come there right now or at a minimum dropping some not-so-subtle hints about wanting them to have you as part of their college golf teams. Hey, we're a couple of years away from that, but um, you leaning in any direction? <laughs> um, I always tell people that I don't like the cold. So, you know, anywhere where um, – and by cold, I mean no snow. Um, but I do want to go into broadcast journalism, so them – that school having that as an option for me um, is also in my decision. But um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be open. My right now would be UT, um, and yeah, I don't I don't know about staying in Texas, but UT is a pretty awesome school. So we'll see. Though I've got quite a bit of time. And Avery, you mentioned a moment ago you've got a, a few tournaments left to play this year. So what's on your schedule for the rest of 2021? Uh, well, I've got the Ping Invitational, and um, that's in about a week and a half at Carson Creek um, in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And then um, I have the Rolex Tournament of Champions, which is a running giving in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, at PJ National. Um, and then that's kind of it for me this year. I, I do have a smaller tournament um, right after Ping in October, um, and it's like a little Texas versus Oklahoma thing, but that's more for fun. Um, but yeah, that's it. And then I'm going to be working hard all the summer to prep for my next year. So Avery, how can our listeners stay up to date with the great success that you're having? How can we follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? Uh, Instagram's probably the best route. It's just my name, Avery Zweig, Z-W-E-I-G. There's typically some confusion with that, you know, my last name. So Z-W-E-I-G. Um, yeah, and my, my dad does, he runs all of it. But I have a Twitter um, and Facebook and as well as Instagram, but Instagram is probably the best one. Well, Avery, before I let you go, first of all, tell your father I said go Steelers. So I, I can't let that uh, get by without throwing uh, some, some love on my Steelers. So make sure your dad knows <laughs> that I said go Steelers to him. But um, stay yeah. safe, Avery. All the best to you and your uh, your parents. I hope I get the opportunity to see you at Augusta National. I think that would be one of the highlights of the year. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And my dad's standing right here. Not only did he roll his eyes, as you said, go Steelers, but he also did say for me to 
say, how about them Cowboys? So I'll just, <laughs> how about that? <laughs> no doubt he did. Take care, Avery. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up soon. All right. Thank you. See ya, Avery. That is Avery Zweig, folks, and uh, a wonderful young lady that I had the privilege of uh, talking to about four years ago. Again, she was 10 years old last time on the show, now 14. Did you? Could you hear what a polished person she is for a 14-year-old and a young lady that I know is going to be doing great things out on the LPGA Tour very soon, came within an eyelash of qualifying for the U.S. Open this year. I expected not only is she going to be at the Augusta National Women's Amateur, but probably in the U.S. Open next year, and then that's just going to get her off and running, and the great things that she's going to do uh, in her college career and uh, in her pro career are going to be outstanding, and I really can't wait to watch her and, and see how she grows and that she's continuing to achieve great things in this game. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Wayne Towski, I want to give a shout-out to a couple more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Two Under. Two Under men's performance briefs are the official underwear of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team, the captain and all vice captains. They are worn by more than 30 players on the PGA and Champions Tour. They are also worn by over 70 NCAA Division I colleges and 17 NFL teams. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort, fit, and performance from the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. Find these two underperformance men's briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shields sports stores, PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Galaxy, and other fine retailers near you. Go online to twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R.com. Two under performance in your pants. Use code on the T20 for a 20% discount at checkouts. Not valid on items already on sale or NCAA licensed briefs. I also want to welcome a new sponsor to the show, Pine Valley Orthotics, and their founder, Stu Sakowitz. Did your feet, back, knees, and hips stop you from playing good golf or golf at all? Maybe plantar fasciitis or neuropathy is killing your golf game? Then you owe it to yourself to try a pair of Pine Valley Orthotics with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Pine Valley Orthotics are uniquely designed with an energy return system not found in any other product. When you step down, they gently spring back, relieving foot pain and stress, energizing your whole body, and they work. I love my Pine Valley Orthotics. I've got them in my golf shoes, and I've got them in my dress shoes. In fact, Stu Sakowitz, the owner, is so sure that they're going to ease your pain, he's offering a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you want better balance and stability, treat yourself to a pair of Pine Valley Orthotics today. Go to PineValleyOrthotics.com, and for a limited time, you can get these for only $99 and a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's only $99. Ease your pain, improve your game, and change your life. Only at PineValleyOrthotics.com. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Wayne Talski. Wayne has been a wonderful supporter of the show. If you've checked out my Facebook page, you've seen that Wayne has taken his next on the tee hat on a wonderful journey this summer. He's played courses that are on so many of our bucket lists. I know I've been extremely jealous every time he shares one of those pictures, and I've been looking forward to hearing all about his travels, and I'm very excited he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Wayne, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much, Chris. So, Wayne, before we talk about all the great courses that you've played, not only this summer, I'm sure over the course of the last several years, I definitely want to get your thoughts 
on the Ryder Cup as well. But, um, you know, our listeners have uh, really started to talk about how great the young players are on the U.S. team, and this might be a turning point for some dominance going forward. I want to get your thoughts. What do you think about what you saw? Well, it was it's hard not to be patriotic uh, watching the Ryder Cup, whether you're in the European side or the American side, but surely you have to be uh, energetic and enthusiastic about what's coming down the road over the next several years for the Americans. They looked amazing. So, Wayne, when um, you have posted pictures, and like I said, I'm jealous as, as I could possibly be, of the places that you've posted uh, pictures that you've taken the next on the tee hat on uh, quite an adventure this summer. Talk about the courses that you recently played. Well, every year I go up to Long Island, which is where I'm from. And um, so I make a week of it. And every year I try to top the year before. And to be honest with you, I don't know that I could really compare one year to the next. But uh, this year's lineup involved um, – Hudson National and uh, Southampton, the lovely Seth Rayner, that gets kind of overshadowed by its uh, brethren next door, meaning Shinnecock and National Golf Links of America. Um, but after Southampton, I was fortunate enough to play Deepdale, which is talk about fast greens. They were probably running around 14. Wow. <laughs> it was amazing. Yes. It was really amazing. It's a, it's a wonderful place. Uh, Daryl Kessner is a great head professional and uh, does a great job there. Um, after detail, I think I went to National Golf Links of America and uh, had arguably one of the best memories of my life this trip because we got to finish up with the sun setting over 18. And the pictures, if uh, you follow me, were just amazing. You know, they tried, you know, to limit pictures, but that one was just uh, breathtaking. And then after National, let's see, um, went and had our tournament. I, I'm actually co-chairing a golf tournament, a charity tournament um, called GLK Foundation. And I think we're in our 21st year of that charity that supports brain cancer research. And uh, we, held, we hold that at Moyat Golf Club. And once again, all these clubs are just in fantastic, amazing condition. And all the professionals there are doing everything they can. Um, and then I finished out at Gardner's Bay on Shelter Island. So, Wayne, I got to ask you, going back to your time at Detail, when, when you're playing the greens that roll up 14, what's that like? I mean, you talk about lightning fast. We hear about that at places like Oakmont or Augusta National. But how do you adjust to greens rolling like they're uh, a glass top table? It's it's quite difficult. Um, just because people may not be familiar with me, I am an avid amateur golfer and not a professional. Um, and it does take quite a bit of uh, getting used to. The good news is when you travel around the country playing golf, you are kind of forced to acclimate much faster than at your, say, your home golf course. And so when you're playing on a 14, you try everything you can not to put that ball above the hole. <laughs> so that's the best advice I can say. Side, side and above are like a death warrant. 
but uh, you got to you got to leave it below the hole and, and give yourself a shot. So I guess the the next question is, how do you get on a place like National Golf Links and some of the others that you named? Boy, I mean, who do you know, or who who do I need to get to know in order to get to play some of those? That's the uh, million dollar question, so to speak. And at the end of the day, um, one of the things that that uh, I like to do is I like to give back. So anybody that's ever uh, hopefully come in contact with knows that I'm quick with the invite to invite anybody. If you play golf, you're a friend of mine. It's that simple. And I'll invite you anywhere. The thing is, just have to pick up the phone. <laughs> so I give as good as I get. I, I try to. I try to give back two people for everything that I've been very blessed to receive. And uh, all my friends and acquaintances know that if I call you, you just got to answer because you never know what I'm going to offer you up. So <laughs> it's a good problem to have. Indeed. So that's where you went this year. Talk about some of the places that you played in prior years and, and of the courses that you have played, which one or ones have really just blown your mind? Well, um, it's, I, I live, I've lived in several states. I've played golf. Uh, from, you know, the East Coast to the West Coast. I've been fortunate to play in Europe a few times. Um, I would have to say arguably my favorite uh, is probably Palmetto down in Aiken, South Carolina. Uh, the first time I played it, uh, without question, I don't think I've ever been presented with 18 better green complexes in more perfect condition uh, than that experience. Pebble, playing Torrey Pine, Seth Page, uh, playing both the resort courses, the private stuff. Um, it's really amazing. I mean, down in down here, I'm in Florida, and uh, I think Mountain Lake does a great job. Um, it's kind of in the middle of the state. It doesn't, you know, really kind of out of the beaten path, so to speak. But it's, it's a wonderful property. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's so many – great golf courses. I, I could go on for hours talking about all the different venues and what have you. In Texas, uh, to you know, dovetail onto the young ladies' conversation, uh, Cimarron Hills in Georgetown, Texas was a great track. Blue Jack National down in Houston. Um, oh, my goodness. There's just so many courses, Chris. You know? Yeah, and Back in June, you played both the Macklemore, which is obviously a sponsor of this show and one of my favorite places, which is designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. And then you went over and played Lookout Mountain Golf Club, which is a Seth Rayner designed back in June as well. Talk about the experiences of playing both of those courses. Well, that was that was just such a blessing as well because uh, I played. I, I I went to Macklemore once before, got rained out. Um, I think their motto is "Life Above the Clouds." And if you ever get there, uh, that 18th green overlooking the valley, the, literally the, you're above the clouds. It is every hole is breathtaking there. I, I thought that course was an, uh, an engineering marvel because of the amount of, uh, slope and the terrain that they had to work with. Bill Bergen did a great job. Absolutely wonderful. And of course, Seth Rayner, um, uh, my two cents on that course is um, it's kind of a linksy golf course with mountain dynamics, if that makes any sense. So you've got the fescue and you've got slope 
And uh, the two, believe it or not, work very beautifully hand in hand. And Wayne, like you mentioned, you're a you're a heck of an amateur player. I saw that earlier this year uh, you went through the qualifying for the U.S. Senior Open down at the Bears Club in Florida, another what has to be a spectacular golf course. Talk about your experiences trying to go through qualifying. Well, I'd like to present that round specifically, but <laughs> uh, the Bears Club is, is uh, one of the best-kept courses here in the state. Obviously, it's uh, Jack Nicholas. Uh, they do a great job. Um, it was a great moment both for myself and my son, who my 14-year-old son, Noah, got the caddy for me for the very first time. And so I wanted him to experience that inside the USGA rope, so to speak. And he was getting ready for his high school uh, career. And so I wanted him to see what dedication and devotion, grit, and all that good stuff that goes into competitive golf really looks like, not just from me, but from all the gentlemen that were playing on that particular day. And they had that course so tuned up. Uh, the thing I remember most was uh, my son turned to me on the back nine. He was probably like 14 or 15, uh, you know, hole. And he said to me, he was like, Dad, I want to play here. <laughs> he was sad. <laughs> he, you know, he had to carry the bag and he couldn't swing the clubs. I said, you one day, son. I'll bring you back. So it was a great moment for the two of us. And talk about Noah's game, because he looks like a pretty good junior player. Well, I couldn't – I'm a proud father, plain and simple. Um, I I put him in the hands of Brendan Elliott, who is a PGA professional, one of the best, in my opinion, one of the better or best uh, youth coaches in the country. Um, and Brendan is here in Central Florida. And he's been working with Noah for the last couple of years. And our goal was to get Noah to a position where he could uh, compete, you know, on the, on the high school level and so forth. And so he not only made it to the team, but in the five tournaments that they've had so far, he's qualified for every single one of them, uh, scored points in a couple of them. So he's just starting his career, but, um, the swing, the tempo, the balance, I think it's all there. He's just got to put some of the pieces together. And it comes in time, as we all know. So he's doing great. Um, I wish Tom Patry were closer to me, another friend of the, of the show and mine. Uh, I love Tom, and I think he would have done a great job uh, just not here in Orlando. So, Wayne, you um... – You've got a picture of you standing at the end of Magnolia Lane with the caption that it's your happy place. It's mine, too. Talk about uh, your experiences getting to be at Augusta National. Um, I've gone. I've been very fortunate. I've gone a few times. Um, I would have to say my, my experience with Augusta is nothing but just – it's what every golfer dreams to do is to be at Augusta during the Masters. I was fortunate uh, a couple of years back. Um, I competed in the Mercedes-Benz Dealer Championship. And fortunately, we made it all the way to the national final, which was held in Augusta during the week of the Masters. So Mercedes, uh, being the sponsor, um, sent us to Augusta for the week. 
And so we got to drive down Magnolia Lane. I got to putt wow. at Augusta, which is arguably my the highlight of my golfing so far as, you know, um, and just driving down, I was speechless, absolutely speechless. Uh, there, it, it is the model. Everybody knows that. It's, everything's perfect. They treat you wonderfully. And be, there's no place I'd rather be than in Augusta in April. So you got the putt there. You didn't, you didn't get to play the course. You just got the putt. I'm still waiting for that magic phone call, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> yes. It's funny when I uh, when I when I met my wife, I I told her I said I've got a slush fund. I need you to know about it. That when the phone call comes, I'm going, and I'm going first <laughs> class. I don't care. <laughs> so I'm just letting you know that if a phone call ever comes, I'm dropping everything. So you know, it, it was she. She's very supportive of of the family's golf passion. Um, we all play. Uh, Noah's taking up the competitive, you know, ranks, uh, trying to follow a little bit. But uh, I've had some pretty good runs competitively. Uh, I haven't broken through really with too much, but I, I love trying. And like I told my son, I just never stop swinging. Wayne, before I let you go, for our listeners that want to keep track of your great golf adventures and the things that you get to be a part of, how can they follow you on social media? Uh, I'm kind of old school. I just have my Facebook account and it's just Wayne Talski. And if you hit me up, I'll add you to the list of friends and, and everyone's welcome if you're a golfer. And I appreciate your time, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, I appreciate you. And you talk about giving back. You've been a, a wonderful friend of the show and I can't thank you enough for taking the next on the tee hat on your adventures and, and posting pictures and, and being wonderful to include the show in uh, in your golf travels. You're fantastic, my friend. I hope uh, we get the opportunity to hear more about the great things that you're out there doing and the places that you get to go. The stories are great. Thank you so much. Look forward to it. Take care now. Thanks, Wayne. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. That's Wayne Towski. And, and Wayne, again, follow him on Facebook. You can see the pictures and the places that he goes. And like I say, he's been gracious enough to Kind of take next on the tee with him. I can't thank him enough for being generous like that and posting the pictures and uh, letting us be a part of his his great golf adventures and all the best to his son Noah. Look forward to watching his young uh, his young career start to grow and prosper, and then uh, like I say, continuing to see where where golf takes Wayne and uh, hopefully he'll take next on the tee with him. Wonderful man, and uh, looking forward to catching up with him again soon. Okay, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again to Scott Verplank, Damon Hack, Avery Zwag, and Wayne Talski for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And speaking of next week, we'll kick off the month of October with a visit from our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. He'll be back. A great friend of the show and a guy playing some great golf out on the Champions Tour, Paul Stankowski, will be here. The president of the Golf Heritage Society, Dr. Bern Bernacki, will be here, as will one of the top instructors in the game, Kelly Stenzel. Really looking forward to catching up with Kelly. So it's going to be a great show, folks. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great sites and apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, 
Folks, if you have a favorite podcasting site or app, we're probably on it. Just type in Next on the T in the search bar. You'll probably find us on that app or site as well. Folks, I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show tonight. I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the T a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at LGECCU.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a five minimum balance required. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.